Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps investor and commentator and writer of the uh, small cap value reports on Stockopedia with Graham Neary. Uh, it is 5th of March 2023 today. I'm recording this on a Sunday and it's episode eight for the current year, which doesn't follow the... Um, there are a couple of gaps. I think there's one week I didn't do one, so it doesn't follow the week numbers exactly. So, right, let's launch straight away into my weekly summaries of the Small Cap Value reports. On Monday, we had Graham looked at Begbie's trainer, BEG, the insolvency practitioners. Um, I think Graham and I both feel that it's probably priced about right at the moment, Begbie's, but probably an upturn in business coming as the... Um, as the number of insolvencies is likely to rise. I looked at Beaks Financial Cloud, BKS. I should declare an interest in this. It's a long-term position of mine. Interims came out. Um, it provides connectivity for financial companies to lots of global exchanges. And um, there are various advantages to this. Now, cloud-based companies are very interesting at the moment, I think, because I had a discussion with this with some friends, investor friends, who point out that the valuations that private equity in particular are putting on cloud-based companies is pretty staggering. Um, same in the in the US generally, even though there's obviously been a huge tech sell-off in the last year. Some of the tech shares, I was just looking at it this morning, are now rising strongly. Tesla has doubled from the recent lows, whether that's a tech company or not, depends on the way you look at it. Um, <clears throat> well, I saw Google and oh, Facebook is another one that's that's risen very strongly, and of course that's got a hidden gem in there, hasn't it? With WhatsApp, what would happen at some point if they flick a switch and say, right, you've got to pay ten pound a month for this? I think most people would pay. I would. You know, it's just become too embedded in my life as a quick and easy way of communicating with people. I don't suppose Matt Hancock. <laughs> We'll be paying the £10 a month for WhatsApp. That sort of slightly backfired on him, to put it mildly, didn't it? So um, how do we get on to that? Oh, yeah, Beaks Financial Cloud. So although I was questioning the valuation, which is knocking on the door of £100 million, it then dawned on me a couple of days later that actually I don't think, you know, putting this on a PE or a multiple of net tangible asset value is going to be relevant to the outcome of this share. I think the outcome could be very, very good because the founders made no secret of the fact that he wants to build the company up and then sell it. So and he still owns, uh, I think, about a third of the business, maybe above a third. So we're really um, <clears throat> riding in the back seat with Gordon MacArthur um, uh, in charge. And I think he's a great guy. I think he's really, really capable, um, you know, genius, really, for having set the thing up. He was a trader who put his own servers within the um, within the exchanges to get zero latency, basically. And he then put his algorithms onto his own server, um, which was literally sitting next <laughs> a few feet away from the exchanges server. And uh, the exchange started referring people to him who'd said, does anyone offer this service? So uh, what an amazing way to start a business. So there's a great story behind Beaks, BKS. Um, now, I wasn't madly excited by the interim results, I have to say. They were OK, and the outlook um, says they're in line for expectations. I had been hoping for a beat there, but maybe that's just being greedy because the, the planned growth is still very impressive. Um, now, it was the outlook comments that really... Um, <clears throat> are much more exciting so it's saying Beaks is saying it's got a record pipeline 
including two major exchange deals at the final stages. Now that is really interesting. I mean, this could grow in this could grow exponentially. This company. Um, it's the type of thing where they've established proof of concept. They've been running for ten years now. Um, and that's when you start to, to get, and it's very difficult for anyone to compete and start from scratch because it has to be, business critical systems have to be proven. Um, and that's why one of the things that I think is a lot of hidden embedded value within Beaks. Um, so I'm going to sit tight on that, even though the figures themselves don't madly excite me. I remain of the view that Beaks could be very good long term, so I'm sticking with that. Next, another very tiny software company was Arcontech, only 9 million market cap. Okay, I put here okay results, but it's a bit of a special situation because two thirds of the balance sheet, um, sorry, two thirds of the market cap is net cash. And it's 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 got a strong overall working capital position. So it's not that cash is not all money paid up front by customers, which it often is with software companies suppressing the obligatory hiccup there. Uh, <laughs> so um, now my friend Leon Boros, who's a great guy with a brilliant long term track record of investing, uh, he owns four percent of it. Now the reason I follow um, shrewd investors like Leon is because. Knowing what his modus operandi is, you can bet your bottom dollar if he's put uh, if he's got a disclosable stake in something, he will have researched it to death. So, you know that a capable person has done very detailed research on it. So you sit up and take note. Although on the without wishing to offend Leon, of course, everyone makes mistakes. So no, no matter how shrewd and capable the investor, uh, they'll make mistakes, and very often. Um, and uh, very often as well, they'll make so much on the occasional big success that it that it mops up the losses. So you can actually, I think Leon's written about this before. You can you can get half your investment ideas wrong and still make fantastic returns if you concentrate money in the in the best ideas and if you run your winners and all the all the other invested cliches. So, but anyway, our contact might be interesting for um, special situations investors. My main reservation with it is it looks like legacy software that's sort of slowly withering away. Um, I'd, I'd need to see where the growth is going to come from on that. So if they were, say, I don't know, developing some new cloud, maybe they are, I don't know. But if they develop some new cloud offering that had, was winning great new client wins, that's the point that I probably want to buy some shares. I mean... You know, I, I haven't done that much work on it, so I don't know. But uh, where's the growth going to come from is is the key question to research, I think. And the outlook comments weren't particularly exciting with its results that I looked at briefly. Uh, now, Graham looked at Senior. This, uh, I think it's an aerospace defence stock, 679 million market cap. So see Monday's report from that. And I looked at Cortex, QTX, the telematics company again I, th I think it's quite a good company it does make a good margin in a sector where a lot of people have tried and failed or never make any money at all um i just can't get close to the valuation of 27 times earnings on cortex um you know it's up against continual headwinds of client attrition inevitably some clients go bust or get taken over and stop using it or migrate to a, a, a competitor's software um, and also they're under continuous pricing pressure. So their selling price drops each year, I think by about 5%, which again, um, 
tell, you know, it says to me they haven't got enough pricing power. And the international expansion it seems to be going well in France, not so well in America. So I think the jury's out on Cortex. If it was cheaper, if it was on a PE of under 20, I might have a dabble. Things we didn't get around to looking at, I'm sorry about this, was DX Group. Uh saw one of their vans the other day, actually, when I was in the city. Uh, what else? Oh, Elixir International, but I looked at that on Tuesday, so I'll come on to that. Hercules Site Services, which I'm going to try and cover this weekend, and Central NIC, we didn't get around to looking at, but there was a, a lot of um, commentary from the readers in Monday's report. So look at what they've got to say, because it is a team sport. It's not just me and Graham. We've got a lot of very, very savvy investors who post comments on each day's small cap value report. On Stockopedia. So that's Monday. Okay, on to Tuesday. This is the 28th of February 2023's small cap value report on Stockopedia. Um, I've got to up the pace a bit here. First off, I looked at Elixir International, E-L-I-X. Now this describes itself as a challenger management consultancy. So the management consultancy main ones, firms, I think a lot of them are offshoots of the a big five or big six, I can never remember what it is, it changes, accountancy firms. And like all divisions of accountancy firms, they make ridiculous margins um, by convincing everybody that they're brilliant at what they do, which I think is quite often questionable. Um, and anyway, Elixir, uh, yeah, it looks really interesting, actually. It's growing through acquisition and it's a challenger to those big firms. So it's got a lucrative pie to get stuck into. I ended, uh, I ended up looking at this for the first time, I think it was, and uh, I quite like it. So I've gone green on this one. Um, it was a trading update for calendar year 2022 in line with expectations. But the, the current trading comments were very impressive, really strong. So it looks as if it set itself up um, to beat forecasts and forecasts have been raised as well. I think the valuation's more reasonable. Actually, I did look at it once before, just to correct myself, and I thought it was too expensive when it was on a PE of about 30. Um, I know PE is not always the right way to value things, but it's the predominant way that most people use. Um, that's come down a lot now, I think, into the mid-teens. So I think it's looking uh, a lot more interesting. I do have some concerns, and I saw I got an email from one of the company's advisors um, <clears throat> with a sort of right-to-reply stroke change of emphasis uh, of the way they see things so I will respond to that so sorry I haven't got around to it yet so I've I've concluded with Elixir E-L-I-X that it might be could be worth a closer look um, I, as I say I never I'm, I'm only doing quick reviews of companies so I never give recommendations because I haven't done enough research on them and I don't want to recommend things anyway the whole point of what we're doing on Stockopedia is to give you the tools well, the tech team, the brilliant tech team, give you tools to help you do research. And the editorial team give you uh, ideas for things to research yourself in more depth. Um, and we're right on some and wrong on others, obviously, because, you know, things change. You know, uh, we can only ever comment on things as they are now. And then literally from the next day onwards, things start to change. And you never really know what's going on inside companies, you know. We all like to think we've researched things to death and then quite often something totally unforeseen happens because anyone outside the company doesn't really know what's going on. 
in my opinion. You've always got to bear that in mind. That's why we diversify, because if you overload in one company and you're completely blissfully unaware that they make all their profit from one customer that they then subsequently lose, you know, uh, it's very risky over-concentrating, as we know. Moving on, Nexus Infrastructure, N-E-X-S, very interesting special situation. Um, uh, they've done a, a tender offer to return most of the market cap. I think it's about 84% of the whole company. So the Nexus has sold its largest divisions, leaving just one business called Tamdown, which seems to be in a turnaround. And the market cap's going to be very small, only about, I think, 10 or 12 million after the tender offer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. Now, obviously, I didn't have time to go into it, but I've just flagged that there might be a special situation there where a post-tender offer you could end, you know, the, the remaining business, rump business, could be undervalued. I think there are some signs that it might be. And I just want to do a shout out for Ross55, one of our readers, who took up the mantle on that. And if that's the right word, I don't know. And, um, and actually did some numbers in the reader comments section. I have to say the reader comments on Tuesday were, were fantastic. Um, this is the thing with our small cap value reports on Stockopedia. The initial reviews that Graham and I do are the conversation starters. Then a shrewd um, uh, readership, subscriber base, uh, then goes often into more detail within the reader comments. So certainly I think... Um, the reader comments are worth a subscription on the, on their own, let alone, uh, so I'm not taking all the credit from, from with Graham for doing the actual reports. Um, you know, it's a team sport. What was I saying? So Nexus, yeah, have a look at that one and Ross 55's explanation, deeper explanation of it. Now, safe set, safe stay, S-S-T-Y, God, that's difficult to pronounce, trading update there. Graham looked at that. This one, again, I think is a special situation on um, breakup valuation because it really doesn't generate a return from running these hostels. Uh, but there's hidden property value in there, possibly, if the properties are still worth book value. I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I'm just avoiding it because I don't think the business model is any good. Uh, but there the could be hidden value in that. And who looked at that one? Oh, several of the readers actually looked at it in the reader comments and went into more detail. So and some of the shrewd readers that we uh, note normally post very, very good stuff. Reckon that one is is interesting. So maybe have a look at Safe Stay if you're a microcap specialist. <clears throat> what do we look at next? Oh, McBride. Now, Graham flagged this as red. I agree on fundamentals because it's massively overgeared. It's got real problem bank debt. But I say that, but they got a very generous covenant deferral from the bank, which makes it potentially interesting. Uh, the interest cost is very heavy. It's been hit by raw materials increases, and it's struggled to pass those on to customers with a time lag. So that's why um, its performance has been so bad recently. And I mean, at one point, it looked like it was going to go bust. But um, the covenant deferral by the bank... Um, actually makes it again it's a special situation it's high risk um potentially interesting now boone uh i'll give boone again one of our terrific uh subscribers i'm gonna give him i'm assuming it's a him a uh shout out as well because he followed up with a brilliant post in the reader comments about mcbride and said something along the lines of you know yes paul and graham you always flag up the risks because that's what we do in the in the reports but he said here's the upside case and basically he's saying if they can push through another wave of of, of cost increases 
the um, the operational gearing of of that dropping through to the bottom line now that the costs have probably stopped increasing or at least are only now very moderate and might even go into reverse. This is the other interesting thing uh, because we had that big spike in raw materials prices for lots of companies in 2022. But, you know, that could go into reverse as supply chains improve and so on, which could give tremendous uh, positive gearing to lots of companies and lots of sectors, which I'll recap on in the macro section if I get time to get around to that. So anyway, big thanks to Boone for flagging up the upside case, which was very, very well explained and very interesting. Uh, now, next I looked at AO World, AO Dot. <clears throat> on the positive side, it's raised profit guidance for the second time this calendar year. Uh, this is uh, AO World online electricals retailer, online only, very low margin sector, of course. Now, I can see that the share has got momentum. The new strategy of actually trying to make money <laughs> is uh, pretty bleeding obvious that that's what you should be doing. But previously, I think the founder, CEO, was, I think he's still the CEO. Didn't he step down for a bit? I can't remember. But anyway, I thought he was pretty delusional. He thought, oh, this is a tech business. We'll just go for growth, blah, blah, blah. It's not a tech business. It's uh, a box shifter with a website. Um, but actually, it's trading better. And um, the EBITDA numbers look very good and they've been revised up. So I can see that it has a good upside case. But I went through the numbers in more detail and I found out that this big EBITDA number turns into negligible profit before tax. Uh, so it's not really making any profit even after two upgrades. I've got other concerns as well. So I can see that this is probably a good trade. It's going up. But in the past, it's got ridiculously overvalued and then crashed, I think, twice. Um, and I think there are other risks there, particularly on the balance sheet. It's got on balance sheet liabilities relating to commission payments from, oh, what are they called? Oh, extended warranties. And I don't like the fact that that's all, all on the balance sheet because it's booking considerable profits from that activity. I mean, arguably, AO World just sells product at pretty much cost, including overheads or even at a loss. As a, as, as a feeder to drive through uh, sales of high margin extended warranties. Now, to me, I don't like that because I think extended, war extended warranties are, are probably, uh, you know, they're high margin because they're not really necessary. And <clears throat> that does make me worry about mis-selling risk. You know, we've had these mis-selling scandals on PPI and on various other things. Well, what about extended warranties? To me, that seems an obvious candidate for mis-selling. And that could be an absolute bombshell for AO in particular. Whereas competitor, a smaller growing competitor, Marks Electrical, doesn't have any on-balance sheet liabilities for that, which I think is a much better way of doing it. So I know it's probably going to go up and it could be a good trade. And people say, oh, you got that wrong, Paul, didn't you? Blah, blah, blah. But I'm remaining negative on AO World. I just, I just, I just don't like the business model. But it is, I do recognise that trading is improving. Finally, I looked at Kitwave, K-I-T-W. This is a wholesaler. Uh, I, I almost made this a mystery share, actually. In fact, I think I probably should have done, but never mind. Um, really good numbers in line with expectations and confident outlook. Um, I still think it's reasonably priced. Shares have done very well. One of very few decent floats during the pandemic. Um, 
this shows as well the impact of just a small incre increase in gross margin. The gross margin went is very low because it's a, a distributor, a wholesaler, but the margin went from 18% to 20%, not a huge increase you might think, but on half a billion revenues, that was transformational for the profits. It really shows the impact of, well, in this case, it's not actually operational gearing. It's um, it's uh, gross margin. If you can put a few points on your gross margin, it can be transformational. That's one of my key themes for this week. Okay, on to Thursday. This was the 1st of March, 2023, small cap value report. Uh, we've got a mystery share for Thursday. Um, so moving on, so I'll... Um, what I do with the mystery shares, I make a note in Friday's, the comments of the previous Friday's report, and I'll put it near the bottom of this coming Monday's report. So mystery share on Thursday, 1st of March. So see that report. It's the first company I reported on on that day. Next, uh, Graham looked to International Personal Finance, IPF. Um, I looked at Purple Bricks, PURP. I'm keeping an eye on that. It said it's had several expressions of interest in its takeover approach. My get, including one of them from the founder, one of the Bruce brothers, I think they're called. I mean, look, it's total guesswork, isn't it? What's going to happen with, with Purple Bricks? My hunch is that I don't think anyone's likely to be prepared to offer enough to actually take it over because the business model hasn't worked, let's be honest. Well, we're always honest, as we we say, as as we see it. Um, you, know, you could argue there's some embedded value in the brand because they've spent so much on advertising. I've covered all this before, so I won't repeat it. So I'm I'm pretty sceptical on Purple Bricks. I'm not going to punt on that. But good luck to holders, and I hope you get a, a generous takeover bid. I can't see that that's likely, though, but it might happen. Graham looked at Nichols. He quite likes it. NICL, this is a drinks company. I've never really particularly seen the attraction myself on that one, but Graham's a shrewd guy and uh, very uh, good at investing. Investing. He's a former fund manager, of course, and um, he likes it, so there might be something worth looking at there. And then finally, I flagged up again warnings about Inland Homes, which is absolutely dripping in red flags now. The latest one, I think, is pretty much nearly all the directors have resigned. Rats leaving the sinking ship, as the saying goes. Well, not necessarily rats. They could be anybody, really, because anybody would leave a sinking ship, wouldn't they? Uh, so, um, unless you can swim very well. So, I think this is looking... Uh, I think it's going to go to zero inland, or I think there's a high risk it could go to zero inland homes. This is a, uh, a land regeneration stroke house builder thing, um, mismanaged by an absolute fool of a CEO for many years. And it was basically run for the benefit of him and the staff, I think. Never generated any shareholder value during a 15-year boom in residential property. So what does that tell you? Anyway, uh, PwC need more time to complete the audit. Uh, no doubt they'll be uh, 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 you know, feasting on the fees for this, a problematic audit where they have to increase the scope of the work. Uh, I'm sure they'll be negotiating bumper fees and upfront cash payments as well. Uh, but that's a guess, I don't know. Um, chairman and two NEDs resigned. The chairman's staying on for two weeks to give them time to 
appoint another director to avoid being in breach of their articles of association for not having two directors. It's a total mess. And I see that the aforementioned Stephen Wicks is returning to the board. So um, if it does go down the pan with him in charge, I think that would, again, I think that would be quite uh, apt, actually. But uh, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to risk it. I know people say, oh, it's a, trading at a fraction of NAV. Trouble is you can't rely on the NAV. So it's a complete barge pole job for me, uh, Inland Homes. I don't want the stress of things like that as well. Putting money into something that you're worried that it could go to zero on the next bombshell announcement. Forget it. Just not interested. Uh, what else was there? Oh, that was it for, for Thursday. Apart from just to say... We didn't get around, I, I, Ricardo, we didn't get around to looking at that. I did have a brief look at it the following evening, but there was nothing particularly noteworthy to report on. So it was all just in line. So uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I wrote half a section and then abandoned it. Get busy, GETB. Now, quite a lot of shrewd friends are circling this and were in it and saying it looks interesting. So I might have a look at that later today on a Sunday if I get time. And then Holland and Wolf. I'm not going to cover this because it's just, it's just a punt, you know. I doing these large naval contracts. Well, I don't know if any of it's sustainable. If they're going to run into problems on big, complex projects, I just can't see that I can add any value on that. So I probably won't be writing about Holland and Wolf. It's a very volatile share as well, so it might be an interesting share for you traders who like punting in and out of things like that. And good luck to you if you make money at it. Keep doing more of whatever works. And then Glenvey Properties, we didn't get around to looking at either. Sorry about that. We can't cover everything, but we just try and select the most interesting looking companies where there's something price sensitive going on. Uh, that's what we mean by interesting. Oh, just to say as well, again, I've just been reading through the reader comments on, uh, oh, it was Wednesday, not Thursday. Anyway, um, the reader comments there are, are really good. Again, discussing not just the stocks in the report, but also some other stocks we didn't get around to covering. And I saw there was an interesting discussion on the management incentive plan at Get Busy with differing views on that. Right, speeding up. Sorry, this is Thursday. I don't know why I get so confused with dates and days. I just do. I've got a sort of mental block on them. Anyway, Thursday, the 2nd of March. So what I just wrote was spoke about was actually Wednesday, not Thursday. This is Thursday. Uh, Virtue Motors, I looked at. I still like that, in line with expectations. And Librem have raised their forecast. Many thanks to Librem. They provide brilliant research for us on Research Tree. Really, really helpful. Um, and they've upped their profit forecasts for February 2024 by 10%. I think it still looks very cheap, so I like Virtue Motors VTU. Uh, I think Libra made the point that it's a consolidator in a sector that's ripe for consolidation, and it's still so cheap. You've got full asset backing of the share price in net tangible asset value, and you've got a very low PE based on low forecasts. So... I, even though it's recovered a lot from the recent lows, I, I think Virtue Motors is still cheap. Uh, Graham looked at HSS higher. I must look at this myself, actually, because I've always rejected it for years because it floated with wildly excessive debt, as you expect from private equity or <coughs> um, venture capital floats. 
Uh, they're, they're, they're nearly always barge pole jobs, I think, because they leave far too much debt with the company, and they sell it. They sell opportunistic, opportunistically at over at, at inflated prices. So why anybody buys anything that's an IPO that's providing a venture capital exit route, I do not know. Uh, and after 2020 and 2021's floats, I don't suppose the stock market will really be interested in buying any future floats from private equity that, you know, they've, they've together with the brokers, they've killed the golden goose by floating crap, uh, excessive valuations, basically. But anyway, HSS is on my list to have a look at. Graham's amber on it. But now the debt's reduced, quite interesting. Bidstack, B-I-D-S, I looked at again. I'm still red on this one because of the cash burning and they've got this legal dispute in the Dutch courts with Azerian, which um, looks quite serious. So, And I couldn't make head and a tail of the update from Bidstack. It was um, very badly written, I thought. So interesting concept, but looks too high risk at this stage. I'll keep an eye on it because you never know. They might reach a tipping point where suddenly it it, it starts to look good. But the the, the, the sign is 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 a flurry of, of, of big contract wins. When that happens, <coughs> that's the time to get involved in these things, I think, and not before. Totally, T-L-Y, this runs outsourced services for the NHS. Um, uh, profit warning, unfortunately, on that. It's dropped quite heavily. It's down to about 20p. I think the profit warning, I mean, they've revised guidance down by 20, 30%, but it's still profitable. Um, it's got a weak balance sheet, though, with negative net tangible asset value. But they're maintaining divvies, which I think is probably unwise. I think it really brought home to me. I've quite liked Totally in the past, and... I'm keeping it on my watch list and maybe I should just buy a few to dip my toe in, I don't know. But it really brought home to me, this profit warning, just how complex these contracts with the NHS are and how I think there's a legal dispute on one of their contracts. Um, and you get cost overruns that don't seem to be factored into the contract for recovery as far as I can tell. So... I think the whole business model is maybe a bit too low margin and a bit too risk prone. So I'm not sure about totally. I'll stay on the fence. Saga announced that its uh, talks are off regarding the potential sale of its insurance underwriting division. I don't think that makes any particular uh, difference to the valuation of the company. That's obviously the travel and insurance group for old folk, which has recovered strong old folk. Oh, Christ, I said the wrong words. No, for the sorry, the over 50 or 55s who are active and dynamic and sporty. So uh, that's uh, that'll, that'll settle the, anyone, anybody's woke nerves, I think. Uh, although it seems to be open season on old people to laugh about uh, about them. So uh, and I disagree with that. So anyway. Oh, God, I'm just rambling off the point here. Get focus, Paul, focus. OK, it confirms no change to expectations. This is Saga for the results for January 2023. Uh, I don't think the sale of the insurance underwriting division makes that much difference either way. It would, if they got a good price for it, it would have reduced gearing. But obviously they've not been able to negotiate a good price. So they're better off keeping it. Graham looked at Alpha Financial Software. And there are a few companies we didn't get round to looking at. Oh, I think Thursday was the day where there were two mystery shares, which I'm not going to obviously 
talk about because that's the whole point of them being mystery shares it's to hold back some some good ideas for readers i didn't actually write about them in thursday's report but they reported on thursday and i think these two companies are very interesting so okay that's thursday oh i should mention as well actually on thursday i actually went into the city of london and had a, a terrific day out um i had a meeting with one disco w-a-n-d is the ticker now as readers know this is a very strange share to be appearing in a, in a value uh, report value investing report but uh, the small cap value reports the clues in the name we write them from the perspective of of value investing and also growth at reasonable price i don't think uh, one disco could be considered either um, <clears throat> terrible historic results, but I've covered it a lot in the last six months. But something interesting is going on there. Not the last nine months, actually. It's uh, had just this deluge of big contract wins that it's never happened before on anything like this scale. And it finished 2022 with still modest but strongly growing revenues, up about 200%, I think, still loss making, but with a huge order backlog. Uh, uh, over a hundred million dollars, I think it was the order backlog. It's never been anything like that size. Now it does. Uh, now the story from the company's super super uh, upbeat CEO, um, David. I always forget his surname. Richards is it? I think. Uh, yeah, David Richards. Very affable, very clever man. He co-founded the business twenty odd years ago. Um, now, if even half of what he's saying comes true. This could be a multi-bagger, you know, a serious multi-bagger, even though it's nearly a billion market cap already. So there's a hell of a lot factored into uh, the upside. But, you know, he's really, really confident that they've they've they've, you know, they've they've gone through a major tipping point where 5G data proliferation from from billions of devices, things like smart meters, electric cars, all sorts of stuff like that now means that um, there's huge burgeoning demand for Wandisco's services. And that's why they're winning all these big contracts. The trouble is, there's often a delay in the contract actually starting. So the revenue recognition lags well behind because these are major organisations, big car companies, big, you know, top tier telecoms companies and so on. And as you know, the wheels take quite a long time to grind round with those companies to them implementing projects. Uh, and this is why they say there's this mismatch between orders, high orders booked, and they typically get half the cash up front for new orders, but it can be on 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, so that wasn't reflected in the year-end cash balance, should hopefully be reflected in the next update in April. If it's not, then that'll be a red flag. Um, so I think one disco is pretty much binary. And oh, the other thing, interestingly enough, Sky News reported over this weekend have reported that one disco's uh, planning a dual listing in America. I think that's an open secret. Uh, it's been hinted at by the company before. Uh, but unfortunately, it is another piece of evidence that, you know, the big tech type listings are drifting away from London, that London's really becoming more of a kind of mature value shares type of market. The growth shares, I think, the, the credible larger ones are probably going to be listing in America. I know Arm Holdings, the chip design that I think was bought by, I think, SoftBank, they're looking at relisting in America. I don't think we should beat ourselves up about that. I mean, there's no way London can compete 
with New York in terms of the depth of liquidity and so on. So and the valuations are so much higher over there. So it makes complete sense, I think, for big tech companies to list in in, in America, not in the UK. Now, what did I look at on Friday? Oh, Phonics, FNX, very nice company. Uh, well, I'm a fan of the company and the management. I think they're very good. <clears throat> Lovely re repeating revenues, good margins. There's a lot to be said for Phonics. It's a really good company. They announced they've extended their partnership with ITV, so that's good. <clears throat> the key point about Phonics is the stickiness of revenues. And uh, everything management said they'd do, they've done. So I really like the company. I just think it's too expensive. That's the trouble. The PE is 25 to 27 times, which is just too much, I think. So uh, that's the only reason I went amber on it. If it, if it had been on a PE of 20 or less, I would have gone green on it. Um, <clears throat> so that is the end of the individual companies section. OK, just a few macro and market thoughts. Um, obviously, the main themes at the moment are inflation, that it should be falling. Um, later this year and the Bank of England and other forecasters are all saying it's going to reduce drastically as um, the big spike up in costs last year uh, annualise and make it may even start falling so but we know about that I haven't got anything to add about that and um, then you've got obviously question marks over interest rates which maybe you know there's I mentioned this every week I just think I'm, I am worried that central banks might <clears throat> overcook it but worries about sort of systematic uh, failures and so on that I was seriously worried about last October doesn't seem to be uh, happening. So <laughs> I don't want to count the chickens too soon, but maybe the risk of some sort of system-wide system meltdown in the financial system, maybe that's, uh, those worries are overcooked. It hasn't happened yet. <clears throat> and um, I can't see any obvious signs of stress in any particular areas. So who knows? Maybe the system's strong enough to absorb the shocks of higher interest rate and uh, much lower asset values. So far, doesn't seem to have caused any big failures, but it might do. Um, <clears throat> it's funny, I was listening back, actually, to a couple of my own podcasts right at the lows of the market back in... October last year and it's really interesting actually with the benefit of hindsight looking back at from the future at six months ago and the consistent theme of my podcast in October September and October last year was that I'm seeing amazing value in hundreds of small caps and mid caps and that that's really really uh, exciting value but that I was so worried about the macro position that uh, that was weighing on my mind. And I think probably the lesson to be learned from that is that the macro situation always has a funny habit of getting sorted out. And what's that What's that quote about buying when there's blood on the street? You know, something along those lines. Uh, I don't think that's meant to be taken literally. So um, it, it's, it's worth bearing in mind, isn't it? This is another example. We've had quite a few recently. The March lows in 2020 for the pandemic, that those are the times when people are just selling irrationally and panic selling. Those are the times to be buying, aren't they? But you've got to have some cash to be able to buy. So I suppose the uh, the, the, the corollary of that is that we need to be top slicing and building up some cash when shares are becoming overvalued. As they, as they always do in bull markets. So this is the thing in, in my investing journey that I've never managed to crack. I'm always fully invested, and obviously I'm very pleased I remained fully invested uh, in uh, throughout the bear market. 
um, <clears throat> it killed my spread betting accounts, but that doesn't matter because that that's now filed under the column discontinued activities. <laughs> so my just like companies do. So my continuing portfolio is actually doing really well this year, as I say, and that's because I had this takeover bid for Seraphine, which was a two hundred percent premium, and that was by far my biggest position. And then I put most of that money into BOTB, which is fifty percent up year to date. So I don't want to brag because I had an absolutely shitty year last year. So I think I've I'm entitled to celebrate uh, a little bit of success this year. Um, so yeah, my ungeared portfolio has actually now recouped more than all of my losses from 2022. So I'm delighted with that. But obviously, the geared part of my portfolio, the discontinued activities. Uh, uh, means that I'm still way below where I was 12 months ago. But never mind. We uh, we, we, we we live and learn and we move on and, and fix the things that we were doing wrong. That's the way I look at it. Some of my friends I met in the city on, on um, Thursday and had lunch with were saying, you know, how do you manage to stay so cheerful, Paul? Uh, when when you know things have gone so badly for you in the last year, I said, "Well, you've got to look on the bright side, haven't you?" I've I've, I've identified what I got wrong, which was gearing, simple as that, and um, eradicating that from my processes going forward will uh, will will mean that I should do very well. And so far, so good. This year has been great. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> And you just pretend to be cheerful anyway, if you're not cheerful, and you can end up convincing yourself <laughs> after a while. Oh dear. So why are we talking about that? Oh, yes. So looking for some positives then. Uh, new, I think supply chain constraints are definitely easing in some sectors. Virtue Motors pointed to that. So new car supply is improving. Um, although some other companies are still having supply chain problems, I think there are signs that that's now on an improving trend, which is good. Uh, <clears throat> so, yes, yeah, so learning to sit out in cash or partially in cash, just to re recap on that point finally, that's one of the big gaps in my, uh, in my investing journey that I need to learn to do and to be more disciplined to sit in cash. Uh, so that's work in progress. So going back to macro points here. Now, one of the things I'm really focusing on the moment is companies rebuilding margins. Now, obviously, with both the pandemic and then the energy crisis, a lot of companies that made decent net profit margins in the past have had their margins absolutely clobbered by cost increases. But over time, the better companies should be able to rebuild those margins. And this comes back to the point that Boone was making in the reader comments in what he was a very, very fascinating post, actually, uh, that helped clarify my thoughts on this as well. That, you know, there are still a lot of opportunities out there. We've had this everything rally where everything's bounced. But what we need to do, I think, is avoid, try and avoid companies that are going to put out profit warnings. So I'm not investing in anything unless we've had a decent trading update in the last few weeks. You know, that's a good discipline. I think if you only buy stuff where you've, you, you know how the current trading is going and it's all right, then that you can pretty much sidestep most profit warnings by doing that. If you're still waiting for a 2022 trading update from a company, then I'd be worried. I know in theory they're meant to announce any bad news as soon as they know about it, but if they're still reconciling their accounts or still working out audit adjustments, they may not know enough to be able to put out a profit warning yet. So recent positive news is key for me for any new purchases. I'm trying to avoid bottom fishing on stuff that's dirt cheap, 
hasn't really updated us on trading because there's too much guesswork involved. Although some of them are tempting, I must admit. Uh, but you're more likely to see profit warnings from companies you haven't um, announced yet. But going back to this rebuilding margins thing, this is where the opportunities lie. And I'm increasingly looking at companies, particularly big turnover companies. And this was prompted by Kitwave, K-I-T-W, a dis wholesale distributor that I flagged up in the main report, uh, raised its gross margin from 18% to 20% and transformational for profits. And we value things on PEs, but bear in mind that the profit number, the earnings number, is so volatile and can actually disappear or even go negative in downturns and then shoot back up again. Well, at that stage, when that's going on, PE is not a good way to value a company, in my view. We should be probably going back to pre-pandemic earnings, saying what margins was it making then? And if <clears throat> will it be able to rebuild to that level of margin? Some companies will, some companies won't. Depends if they've been permanently damaged by the pandemic and the energy crisis or not. Um, but if you can find fundamentally good businesses that are currently trading maybe at break-even or negligible profits um, that have big recovery potential in margins, those are going to be the winners of the next year or two, I think. And um, that's increasingly what I'm focus focusing on when I'm looking for opportunities. Right, I've got to wrap it up because I'm almost out of time. The file size will be too big thanks ever so much for listening and sorry if anyone was offended by my silly throwaway remarks i wasn't uh, trying to be silly things just sometimes come out of my mouth uh, in an unplanned way and um and i've got the greatest respect for older people actually actually i was i was just being silly um and um <clears throat> what else oh that's it bye